Welcome to another interview with Israel Tech. I'm here with Tal Zamir, the CTO of Perception Point. Tal, thank you for joining us. Pleasure. So in a kind of a nutshell, tell us a little bit about Perception Point, and we'll go back and get a better understanding of you and how you came into play. Definitely. So Perception Point is a cybersecurity company. Um, we're based in Tel Aviv, uh, been around for seven years. Our mission in life is to protect employees and organizations against any type of attack, be it on email, which was the typical top attack vector these days, or your browser, or any other application that you as a user in a company uh, are using. And we do it in a very accurate way, stopping the latest threats, in a very comprehensive way, and with a managed service that helps our customers really handle this end-to-end in a comprehensive way. Um, how important is the managed service component of it? Yeah, it's actually one of the key points that our customers love the most about Perception Point and one of the points that sets us apart from the competition. Beyond the awesome technology and us coming first in the detection accuracy uh, of threats, the fact that you can call someone, talk to someone immediately within like 15 minutes and get answers and get someone to handle the incidents that you bumped into, super great for our customers, unheard of in the industry, and something that is a real differentiator out there in the market. So let's uh, go back and let's talk about you. We'll get back to perception sure. in a bit. How did you get into cybersecurity to begin with? Kind of like, what was your journey? So it seems like everyone in Israel has a different, unique journey, and so many people have a journey. And uh, so maybe I want to hear yours. So maybe definitely, I'll definitely, definitely. So I'll take you back in time. You know, it's kind of a typical uh, cybersecurity founder story. But um, I started my career uh, in the Israeli Ministry of Defense. Uh, they recruited me um, as I was many years in uh, hacking programming since I was a child, and I was kind of, uh, this was my hobby, my life. Um, wait, wait, let's go into that. When did you start getting into that? How does one get exposed to that? Definitely. So back in the 80s, um, when I was like six years old, uh, I got my first PC, and you know, it was like a kind of a neighborhood hobby of uh, hacking PCs, looking under the hood, trying to get them to do things that were not expected. Uh, you know, cheats on games and stuff like that that right. you could uh, hack around and up to more sophisticated um, programming and uh, later, you know, hobby hacking of all sorts, white hat uh, hacking. Um, and uh, this is how I got eventually to the Israel Ministry of Defense and one of the cyber units. Uh, wait, 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 hold on. So the, <laughs> the Ministry of Defense, um, before you graduated high school, has, let's say, scouted you? Is that the right So um, when I was 17, um, basically I'm on the Atuda um, track in the Army, meaning that you do um, like three years of um, you know, Technion, in my case, computer science, uh, 18 to 21. And then uh, you, uh, once you get that, you get into uh, some kind of tech com- um, unit in the Israeli Ministry of Defense or um, Ministry of Defense uh, in this case. Um, and this kind of a deal where you get to get the education first and then go to this kind of elite unit and get to apply your skills over there. And the, the army pays for your university yes, in order to do this. exactly. And are you then obligated to be a certain amount of time in the army, more than the standard two and a half or three exactly. years? Exactly, yes. So you need uh, six years overall, uh, right. including the mandatory service. Uh, so it's like a nine-year track, three years of uh, academic uh, right. graduation, and then uh, six years in the army. So what degree do you walk out of with this? In my case, it was computer science. Uh, but you could do a lot of stuff, electric engineering or... Yeah. Was it a bachelor's? Or you're yeah, uh, in my case, I also continued to a master's. Uh, within the framework of working in the military? Or already after? in the military. Within uh, the framework. I finished the, the second degree, yeah. Is that encouraged or is that something you elect? This was my own um, personal uh, track. You don't 
have to, and they're not encouraging you because you know right. you need to do it kind of in parallel to your right. Own they, they might compete with your right. Time. So it's kind of a trade-off, but I did like on my spare time, and, and I finished uh, it off. So let's say I'm a parent, and I want my child, or I feel like my child would be strong in cybersecurity. Maybe like you, they like playing hacking video games. And how would one, let's say, set their child up for success in order to be able to pursue a career in cybersecurity, since it is a an uh, industry going to continue to grow that pays very well relative to other industries. So if you see that your kid might be, one, one, one maybe, what would be a sign that uh, someone in their youth that this might be a good industry for them? And second, if you, were, if you were a parent and you were to see that in your child, what would you do to set them up for success in Israel? Hey, it's a great question. You know, when I was a kid, it was completely different. I'm right? sure. Yeah. No internet, internet access. <laughs> you, know, you need to like really uh-huh. work it. Um, and today, you know, the amount of different options kids have. Uh, I have two daughters, so yeah, I know. Uh, so um, they have so many distractions, so many different things. They want to be on TikTok or they want to do stuff, other stuff. But basically, the tools that are available today um, from programming for kids, a platform like Scratch, which is a popular junior programming uh, application and other many other options, um, I would say expose the, your kids to those types of uh, new options for learning programming at an early age and see if it sticks. Uh, it needs encouragement because, you know, just going into a, a text editor and writing code is not something that is very attractive for no. kids uh, by default. You need to have something more attractive than that. And some of the alternatives are more visual. Um, I would say eventually if someone is curious, if someone wants to understand how things work under the hood, if they, you know, they break things apart and see how they work, that's a good sign. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, um, and you need as a person. You're getting frustrated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If one daughter breaks a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's a good sign. And I think that you need to encourage to expose to these types of things. Um, set an example. I try with my kids, you know, um, when I'm building some hobby uh, project and I still get to do that, then I share what I'm doing. I'm trying to put them into, pull them into my projects and even to my work project to explain what we're doing. And I think it sparks some curiosity and, you know, we're doing some whiteboarding. I explain what I'm doing in very simple terms, uh, but it's really helpful, I think. So they understand that it's something that's out there. Um, I also like personally, like went over to their class, uh, do like a, a, an extra class for uh-huh. the, the, the entire uh, uh, classmates, uh, teaching them about cybersecurity, about threats. So like exposing them to this world and trying to make it accessible so that they are interested in the topic at early age. So, I mean, one is interested, and let's say even they're, they're doing well, right? It's basically a hobby, you're talking yeah. about a teenager. How does the government rep find you while you're in high school to see that and for them to extend this unique opportunity? Right, so they have a lot of different uh, people specifically for this target of, uh, of this aim of finding the right talent. They go over to schools, look at the top tier students with the top grades. Uh-huh. Uh, and they typically look at the ones that are doing computer science classes and stuff like that. Um, at least at my time, that's the way they did it. It's just going directly through the classes and asking for the top tier students. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one way. Today, there's all kinds of other programs where you get to go to university at the age of 15 or 14 right. or earlier. Um, so I guess this is another track for them to identify those talents. Ah, got it. So yeah. You outline kind of like how you can help your kid be seen and find those opportunities. So you, you found that way. That's great. So in the Army, you're doing cybersecurity nine years. What can you share? Well, I think the most interesting part um, about cyber and the Israeli uh, Ministry of Defense or Israeli 
Defense Forces uh, basically is the responsibility that they hand over to 18-year-olds, year you know, fresh out of the army, or in my case, 21-year-olds, um, where basically you get uh, to own some of the most critical projects uh, in terms of Israeli security, um, stuff that is really mission critical, right? And I think this is... Uh, Does that worry you? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. You know, on one hand it is. On the other hand, there's so much, you know, like mission in it and kind of the impact that everybody feels that uh, they're leading to uh, is amazing. And it really drives people, especially young folks that have no family yet, probably, usually, and uh, can really dedicate their lives to this. And it's, I mean, like 24 by 7 when there's like uh, a need for that. And the people really are like a strong family, um, united, working together towards a shared goal. Um, so for my, my own personal uh, experience in the mandatory and then later the extended service was of this super tight um, unit working together um, to fix a problem, to solve, to get some intelligence, to do whatever we need uh, to do uh, in a way that is, I haven't seen many, anywhere else, like the level of engagement um, and the impact that we're able to create as this kind of unit of talented people, dedicated people, I think it was uh, amazing. Um, and it's in the right hands. It's, it's really in, uh -huh. in good hands. Uh, so how has it changed over your years in, in, um, in the Army? Like, has the technology changed? Has your responsibility changed? Do they move you around to different responsibilities so you get more exposure? Do they try to also give you enough education so you can then enter the private industry and create a startup like you have? It's a great question. So I think, um, yes, of course it evolves over the, the service. You know, you start as a junior developer and then you extend it into um, leading a team, uh, something leading a whole uh, branch, um, and you learn the skills of, um, you know, agile development, or working very rapidly because, you know, time really matters in those types of projects. Uh, being able to um, create the right methods and uh, methodology for the team to be effective when you're not just on your own but uh, as, a, as a team. So there's a lot of on-the-job training that's part of the definition of this kind of units uh, that gets you uh, to build those skills, not necessarily intentionally. It's not like there's a training program how to be great in the startup industry after your service, uh, but it's by design kind of a, a startup mentality on steroids where you really have a goal, you need to move really fast, you need to release versions very fast, in certain places at least, in, in some of those units, uh, that teaches you the, the secrets of the trade as you go as part of it. Uh, there's also, of course, all kinds of training courses, but some of them are more specific to like specific, specific skills that are related to uh, the army. Um, like what, what are those skills? Um, I can't share all of that, but uh, some of it is, uh, you know, some of it is programming, um, specific um, kind of uh, advanced reverse engineering of software in some cases. Some cases it's uh, how to build mission critical software that needs to be like, think about like landing a, a, a missile, a rocket on, on the moon, right? Uh, that's the type of technology and sometimes the type of mission critical work you need to do in the army. So writing code to be that robust where you have very little room for mistakes. I think that's uh, one of the things you learn. Um, and they, they teach you that both on the job and as a more organized way. Again, uh, it was 20 years ago uh, for me, so uh, I'm sure today it's even better. Right. Um, but there's also some you know, structured training. Um, most of it is on the job. 
honestly. And sometimes, you know, it's one generation teaching the other, right? The right. seniors are teaching the others, and uh, there's like internal courses that we built for the younger ones. That's nice. That's yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's, it's really robust. Yeah. Definitely. So you, well, when when did you finish the army, and then what? Did, how did you get into the industry? Right. So it was uh, 2008 uh, when I finished my service, and uh, I joined a startup uh, in the enterprise software world, uh -huh. uh, a company called Wanova, um, and uh, we. Um, came in as the, one of the first engineers in the company and built literally from the first line of code uh, up to acquisition a few years later by VMware. Uh, so that was a great experience for me, cool. um, you know, to get right out of the army and see how it is to build a company um, from scratch. I was also, um, you know, then later joining the CTO office at VMware, looking at uh, innovation um, in a bigger company, in a U.S. Uh, mm -hmm. organization. Um, corporation with 15,000 employees. What are the main differences you see between like an Israeli startup writing, <laughs> writing your first lines of code or even let's say more developed and then kind of dealing with that larger American kind of uh, Right. Company. Yeah, as you would expect, the stereotypes are true, right? And right. when you're in a bigger organization, then there's a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of politics, but there's also a lot of power as a, as a big company that has a lot of resources right. and definitely investing a lot of in, in innovation. Uh, but it's challenging to move this huge fleet um, of a huge U.S. corporation to do completely new things or building, uh, you know, getting new groundbreaking products uh, to market because uh, it just takes longer. And uh, after a few years there, I, I understood that, you know, I need that uh, to go back to that startup uh, mentality. So, you, you, so I get this a lot or I speak to other yeah. people, they, they, they get acquired or they grow or they, I hear people, I'm sick of startups, I need to just go somewhere that's, I have a little more budget, so right. speaking when I work with marketers. And then they're like, this sucks, I need to go <laughs> back to startup, no much control, I don't get to use as much BS creative, et cetera, et cetera. Um, is, is that what you were feeling? And Yeah, definitely, although I gotta say, uh, for VMware's sake, the, the company I worked for, um, they really invested a lot in innovation. They had like internal conferences for, um, you know, they, fly everybody out to San Francisco, I stood on stage and, and kind of showed the latest innovation that we built internally uh, to thousands of uh, VMware employees and customers. Awesome. But at the end of the day, until it hits the, the, the ground and really makes an impact, it was frustrating for me. Personally. Oh, so you don't even, like the work you do, yeah. You don't even get it to see it yeah. be used. Sometimes it does get to be used, but um, most the, of the times it's, it's not. It's actually shelfware or stuff that is getting uh, like a great idea, uh, but for some kind of reason, it could it just be like, fit yeah, it doesn't meet the, the, the strategy right now or too much of a uh, pivot for the company. Yeah, that uh, that, that's sense. proof of a, of a company too big. Yes, exactly. Would you say, Manu um, sure. would you say too many engineers or too many Computers, are, I, that's what it sounds like, right? In, a, like, in a big uh, corporation like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, they were, right? Like, definitely, definitely. Yeah, it definitely. sounds like they're too big. It's like you sometimes have too many programming, programmers working on the same stuff. Right, there's a lot of overlap or and, to a tangent. And the time zone differences when you're an Israeli company that got acquired by a U.S. corporation, then you know, the time zone and the mentality and the culture do make a, a difference. And it was tough. Most acquisitions, by the way, you know, they don't work out. They, especially when a U.S. corporation buys a, an Israeli company, to integrate the technologies and make that team work in a way that is a super so Let's talk about that. Why, yeah. well, why does that fail so often? Yeah. It, like more than if an American company bought a similar Israel, American startup? Yeah, I think it's... Or Israeli company or Israeli startup? Right. W yeah, or would you think that it's the same if an Israeli large company, let's say like Checkpoint or something, were to buy an American 
Do you think it's the same problem? I think, or is it just uniquely an American corporation buying right. insurance? Product? I think, especially when it's like a remote development uh, team that is away from headquarters where the decision making has been made, um, they try to bridge the gap, they try to bring on senior management over to uh, the headquarters, but it's typically. Uh, it needs a lot of work to make it uh, happen and be effective. You know, when they're asleep, now you're working and, and everything is delayed and it's, it's a bit uh, harder. Um, there's also, you know, there's a lot of, in many cases, like there's developers at the headquarters that are like the more senior ones and they want like to have the influence, the right. impact. And like sometimes like for US uh, headquarters, it might seem that the Israeli shop is like a, an offshore thing. Right. Um, and they want to own the more impactful, more significant projects. So there's politics involved sometimes. Ah. Um, it's really on a case-by-case -case basis. It doesn't mean that none of those acquisitions work, but there are many cases where it's, uh, it's tough to integrate and be like part of the DNA of the company for real. Because, do you think that large American companies don't, don't make space for, like they, they fear the small, fast-moving, agile startup yeah, it depends on the case. It you know, holds like a mirror up to their glass, yeah, right? Yeah, some of them are like that, yeah. And, uh, and it really depends on the company. It's not uh, one for yeah. So you then founded your own company after you were telling yes, me? exactly. What, what company was it? So the company was called Hysolate. Um, it was a company founded by um, a venture capital uh, firm called Team 8, uh, yeah. which is growing in the cyber in Israel. Uh, we were their fourth company. I was the uh, sole founder coming in. Um, it was a great opportunity for me to. But what made you find it? Like, what would like? How'd you get your transition from uh, uh, being acquired, working at VMware, moving over to? How does that happen? How did you raise the money? Did you start then? Like, right. Like the that's uh, definitely you skipped like the hardest part of your career yes, probably. Yes, definitely, <laughs> definitely. I skipped the, the, the hard part. Uh, but basically, there's you know, as you know, you know, we're in Israel. Uh, we know each other. Right. right? Everyone, uh, everyone. It's, it's a, a small family, and especially if you're part of those cyber units in the Israeli Defense Forces. You know, uh, Team 8 is a team of uh, 8,200 um, commanders that uh, set up this VC. For those who don't know, that's the name of the unit. So yeah. It's not 8,200, that's not the number of commanders. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. And um, they are uh, well connected to uh, the unit. I've been into, uh, I served into, and um, we just had short connections, and they were looking for a founder to start their next company. Did you uh, not even know what you wanted to do yet? Actually, I had like, a bunch of ideas. Um, but like you were like, and there are other people that had ideas, they wanted to found something, you're like, hey, let's do something, and you didn't even know what it was yet. Yeah. It wasn't like, I have this great idea, hey, would you like to join me, what do you think about it? Yeah, it was more like, I, w I had a bunch of ideas, they had a, a domain they wanted to get into, uh, and build the next company, and it was a, a match. Um, I was into the virtualization domain, which is what's, I've been working on for the many uh, years before, and they were looking to add cybersecurity plus virtualization. I'm going to bore you with the details. No, but, no, yeah, uh, <laughs> but definitely, um, you know, we had this vision of uh, virtual machines are something that is uh, has become a commodity back in the day when we started the company, and they are really a strong way to isolate one environment from the other. Um, you can on your laptop kind of set up two different environments, one for, let's say, work, and another for personal stuff. And this availability of technology uh, around virtualization, which was a main thing of uh, my work back in the day, um, was a great fit into their cybersecurity paradigm of let's do isolation of the work stuff from the personal stuff. Uh, so we kind of uh, matched the two and said, hey, we could build a startup that would really 
protects employee laptops by creating this safe zone, completely isolated from the rest of the computer. Uh, so you can run uh, work-related stuff securely without mixing with uh, your pleasure and other stuff. Uh, so that was the, the original idea, and uh, it was kind of a, a nice match. And then, so then, is, this is when uh, Perception Point comes in, yeah? Yeah, so Which many, many years money. forward. Yeah, so, yeah, so, so we raised, in Highslate, we uh, raised uh, over uh, $40 million over the years. 14 or 40? 40. 40. Four, four zero. Four zero. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. A lot of money. Um, and uh, it was a real you know, roller coaster, as they say in startups, and it was truly like that. Um, we built it uh, to uh, up to a point where we sold it to uh, multiple enterprise customers, huge ones, small ones. Uh, but um, eventually, it was a journey that took uh, like six uh, years, five years overall. Um, an average, by the way, startup is like seven years uh, in the making. Um, but we did uh, find that what we built was especially too secure in a sense. What I mean by that, you know, it was meant for uh, IN security audiences, like uh, companies that really need strong uh, isolation, and it was not for everybody. Uh. So uh, it was tough to get it to mass markets, um, basically. Uh, but we found a good fit with Perception Point, where Perception Point was primarily an email security company um, that looked to, in, to extend into additional spaces. Uh, especially protecting the browser, for example, which is this kind of main application that everybody uses these days for so many purposes. And the technology of securing the browser that we had from the high solid days, together with Perception Point looking to extend and protect additional applications beyond just email, uh, made it a good match for Perception Point to acquire high solid. You get acquired by Perception Point. How did you guys find each other? Right. I feel so, like, by the way, it's like a theme in Israel known as tech. Is that like, how do people find and connect, right? We were talking about like, how did the army find you in high school? How do people find you? How do you collaborate? How do you do to start your own business? How do they you hired? It's, it's all about, there's this unique network effect. It's related to like Jewish geography. Everyone knows each other. Everyone's related. You know, you're, you give business to your competitors. It's not a good fit for you. It's very uniquely Israeli. So how did you, how do you find each other? I always find it'd be a good story in Israel. Yeah, actually, it's really such a small community. And just as an anecdote, you know, there's a big cybersecurity conference uh, in San Francisco every year, but, um, RSA and yeah. Black Hat, and on the earth and the plane over oh, there, it's, it's all the cyber the entire cybersecurity industry wow. in one plane over there every time, and everybody's talking because it's really eventually it's not a huge community and everybody knows each other, um, and of course you know VCs in Israel talk and you know our VC teammates worth talking to many different other uh, VCs um, and. One thing led to another. Uh, they knew uh, Yoram was the CEO of Perception Point. And actually, I met Yoram years before uh, during my high school days. So we knew each other. And basically, it was uh, a good fit both for uh, what high school could offer and what Perception Point needed um, in terms of building a bigger story of protecting the entire user workspace and not just a specific application. So uh, it really made a lot of sense. It made sense, but who, who approached you? Ah, so, um, where were you connected by a yeah, teammate? Or we were it? looking um, in general to see, you know, for next investment, um, we were looking around. So VCs were talking to a lot of different companies. Um, and part of them is a perception point, which is uh, turned out instead of an investment opportunity to go and uh, sell the company. Awesome. So at perception point, how were you able to take the technology and merge it in? Was it easy to do? Right, so it's always a challenge following what we discussed earlier, when it's an Israeli company by right. another Israeli company. 
it's much easier, the mentality, the location, the time zones, everything. Right. And um, it was actually, I think, very well done. Um, the team was um, integrated in an amazingly fast way. Um, again, because we're all talking the same language, we're both, both cyber companies, um, a lot of, by the way, shared connections between employees of Isolate and employees of Perception Point. They knew each other uh, oh, before. They didn't know that this acquisition was going to happen, but they, oh, that's they, fine. Got, they got to know each other after the acquisition, which that's was cute. really nice. That's so, cool. um, and, and we built a proper plan of you know, how to integrate, what are the goals, and how do we get a product to market, a shared product to market as soon as possible. And literally in six months or even less than that, we started the acquisition. We released the first shared product containing technologies from both sides. Uh, and this was a great way to like put the team together and get something out. So let's talk about the product. So what exactly does Perception Point do? Because when you kind of explain the beginning, it sounds very generic. Yes. We protect. Yes. Yes. Exactly. I feel like I can put, but let's get more into definitely. specific and then the technology and business model. Definitely, definitely. So Perception Point um, actually started, um, again, as email security. Uh, email security is a very you know, common problem uh, out there, but the take that Perception Point took uh, to solve this problem is quite unique. Um, in simple terms, we really put in-depth detection uh, as our primary goal. Not all the companies, it sounds like it, it must be that everybody does this, right? Everybody invests a lot of in, in detection, but a lot of the cybersecurity mm -hmm. companies out there do like very shallow levels of detection just to check the box or right. uh, to stop in a place where it's cost effective for them to do the detection work. One of the principles that your arm actually has led, and I really think it's quite unique, really no compromises on the detection level. And the technology, the IP, the patents from Perception Point and from Isolate are around how do we do uh, in-depth detection? Like, I'll give you one example, right? When you get a, an email, that email can contain uh, a file which is a zip file containing another file and another file and another file. Right. And eventually there's some Word document down at the, the end of it which has some malicious content in it. We really dissect everything. We run that Word document in a virtual machine in the cloud to inspect it and see if there's anything malicious in it. We do a lot of different things. So you run it virtually because it's isolated? Um, it's isolated well, regardless of that, we do that. We want to inspect it in a clean environment right. where we can test things. But it's also beneficial that it's isolated. But my point is that we really inspect everything dynamically in depth. We really are trying to be the best in the industry in terms of detection. And by the way, everybody says that, but when you go to uh, benchmarks by third parties that do independent testing of the detection accuracy, um, we come first year after year. And that's not taking for granted. It's not like fake bullshit tests. It's real uh, in-depth testing. So I think this is the key differentiator for the technology of Perception Point, um, the ability to scan things in depth and to do it across different applications. A lot of companies do only email security or only browser right. security or only uh, something else, right? We do all of the different applications you have today and you have so many different uh, apps. Do people ever worry like, oh, well, if you do all of them, you can't be the best at any of them. Right. Is, is that fair criticism? Uh, so because the same shared engines that I talked about earlier, the, the detection uh, is applied across the board, uh, we give the same quality of detection across all of those different applications. And beyond that, we also are able to connect the dots. So I'll give you a, an example. If you get an email um, that leads to a website that you open in your browser, we can connect the signals we got from your email, like who's the sender and what is reputation, with signals we see when you launch the link in the browser, like 
what does it look like? Does it have a login um, form? Does it look uh, shady? Oh, interesting. Um, so we connect the dots across different um, sources, channels, as we call them, and then we decide. What other sources and channels? This is fascinating. So think about any kind of modern application like Teams or Slack or um, Google Drive or OneDrive. People use Teams? Yes, a lot of them. <laughs> a lot of them. It's surprising, but. Not yeah. an OpenAI. Yeah, OpenAI doesn't like that. But, and you know, it's like a Microsoft thing. But eventually, if you look at the enterprise market, most companies in the world are buying Microsoft services that include their email, their cloud storage, yes. their Teams uh, messaging uh, yeah. platform, and so on. Uh -huh. So you were saying, so let's say they're using something like Slack or a Yeah, third exactly. So we can, I'll give you another example. If we found that an email is malicious, right? We look for the file in that email across all of those different applications. If someone sent you the same file over Teams, we can delete that file from Teams as well. So if you found it in one application, we can quarantine it or delete it across all the other applications. So it works in collaboration yeah, got it. to really eliminate the threats across the board in an effective way, both to detect more effectively and to respond more effectively. I hope I'm making sense. Yeah, no, it makes yeah. a lot of sense because you know I'm a marketing background. We yeah. do marketing for cyber. And so we do their ads and their SEO, the collaboration of what keywords are getting traction exactly. on SEO and Google ads. And we can do ads on social to bring more demand to these keywords that might have lower demand or lower, mm -hmm. lower cost per click. So obviously having that holistic thing. Exactly. You, so you, same thing in cyber. Companies are looking to consolidate. They don't want 10 different vendors to handle one for email, one for browser, one for Teams, one for Drive. They want one vendor that can do a great job in stopping the real world threats out of the box and with a cherry on top of having this as a managed service in a stand and forget kind of way, which is what we do. Awesome. So the fact that you can cover so many apps and be holistic, that's terrific. But a lot of different companies of different sizes use different apps and at different suites. Are there certain apps that you can't cover? Uh, do you have a specialization for different size of companies? Or kind of like, how do you pick and choose your right audience or niche or choose your direction on here we're really strong, so let's continue to, to do R&D and develop and expand in this direction? Definitely. So first, as I mentioned before, like most companies out there, they use Microsoft. That's the fact of life. Right, um, especially enterprises. Yes, enterprises of all sizes, by the way, even the smaller ones, they go with a Microsoft suite. Why? Because it's cost-effective for them to like, get the vanilla standard best practice. No one gets fired for buying IBM. They go yeah, and buy uh, Microsoft because so that's, <laughs> that's like the default vanilla that everybody's used uh -huh. to. Uh, and a lot of the IT folks are coming from Microsoft management backgrounds. Right. So that's so they're what they're used, used to. to. And it's like a continuation of that. The fact of life is that's the reality. Um, and then um, the applications for Microsoft are the number one target for us, like the email for Microsoft, um, Outlook, Excel, Outlook, Excel you know, all the Office applications and uh, collaboration apps like Teams and others. Now, Beyond that, because we have protection in the browser and because users have now moved most of their work. If you, you think, say browser, the Internet Explorer? Uh, <laughs> Chrome or Edge or uh, any, 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 any modern okay. browser, Safari on Mac, whatever, we don't care. We are able to protect you in the browser. And if you look at what you do as a person, employee in your day-to-day -day life in front of a computer, most of the time is spent on the browser in apps that run within the browser. Right. So anything that like what like WhatsApp web app, yeah, WhatsApp web, or What's, Zoom on the web, or uh, right. any kind of uh, collaboration app that you're used to, design app, it's all having a web version as well. So if you're running stuff on the browser, we'll be there to protect you, regardless of app. We don't need to build any integrations for that. The fact that we protect the browser already covers like 
the vast majority of modern SaaS Wait, do you protect that? Do you protect it because you're on the whole network? So I can go and download any browser I want as an employee and anything on that, any browser on my computer, on the we'll network. still protect. So if, yeah. what if I'm a guest and now I'm connecting to your Wi-Fi, which I have, mm -hmm. and I'm using a browser, okay, let's say I'm using Brave, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. I use. Yes, definitely. So then it's automatically protected now that I'm on your Wi-Fi. As soon as you try to access my applications, uh, my corporate applications. Ah, so I'm not protect. okay, it's only through the yes, corporate application. Exactly. Well, so anything that can access the corporate applications, it is. So if I, if I got access to use your corporate applications through your Wi-Fi, then it would exactly. be protected, but exactly. until then it's not. Yes, exactly, because it's your own computer. I cannot control what you do on your own computer right. until you actually access my own applications, my right. company's applications. But my point is that we don't need to choose which applications to protect. Any web application, any something that runs in the browser is protected by default, which is right. great. Uh, so that answers that uh, challenge. And it's important to say also that the fact that we are plug and play and supporting all of those applications out of the box, we're serving with that kind of approach, both the huge enterprises of the world for Fortune 500 companies with hundreds of thousands of employees and up to a mom and pop shop in Arizona where they have 20 people. We don't care. You just plug us in and we'll protect all of those applications. Wouldn't an enterprise think like, if you're giving me the same serve or the technology or suite as the pizza shop, I feel like you're not the right fit. Do you run into that issue? Actually, we don't. I, I didn't ever get this kind of pushback because eventually what matters to them is, are you stopping the threats, right? Are you able to get, when would they do a bake-off between us and other 10 different vendors and we win in the vast majority of times in POCs, it's because of the quality of the detection and the service that they're getting. And that's by the end of the day what matters to ah, them. Ah, okay, got it. Um, and eventually, uh, we're not big enough to be Microsoft at this point right. so that like we're, uh, a vanilla standard commodity technology. We're a very high-end detection security company, um, and not the bad guys cannot get access to our software right. uh, like that. So it's, as opposed to Microsoft, where if I'm an attacker, the first thing I'm going to do if I'm building some uh, malicious payload, I'm going to try the latest and greatest from Microsoft, which I can get in a click and see if it bypasses that. Uh, so Microsoft uh, has right. become like the default minimal bar. And the second point is more like high-end, uh, niche, boutique uh, technology that can do high-end detection. Um, so how does your, uh, first off, like when, well, let's like talk about the growth of Perception Point in addition, obviously, to mm -hmm. acquisitions, which we discussed. Um, how much was the funding and the partners of your VCs? How, how much of, does that play a part? How much of it was partnership? How much was more money related? What kind of doors were they able to open for you? Yeah, so we have, we have amazing VCs, uh, both in Isolate and today with Perception Point. Uh, they really are. Who are your uh, partners? Uh, come again? Who are your partners? Are so uh, it's Pitango, Red Dot, uh, yeah. Nokia Growth uh, Partners. Uh, I don't think I'm missing anyone, but uh, probably there's a few more. Um, I joined a year and a half ago at Perception Point. Sorry if I don't remember the whole history of that. The whole apologize to me, I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but basically, they are very supportive. Uh, they're opening doors for us. They're really. Uh, connecting us to potential clients, especially the bigger ones uh, where uh, door opening is needed. But regardless, the company is already serving thousands of end customers, which is quite amazing. Uh -huh. A lot, uh, both direct and through partners of ours of all sorts, channels and strategic partners that uh, are using our technology behind the scenes, um, managed service providers, managed security service providers that offer this up to their end customers. So we're really at this growth phase where we're really providing the value to a vast amount of uh, customers. You talked a lot about kind of the different, uh, how you're able to 
address different markets, different sizes. At the end of the day, they put you through a POC and it's not even a part of a, the, the equation for them is the fact that you may serve companies that are radically yeah. different industry or radically different sizes. Um, would you say that given that um, and companies always need to ensure that they're secure, would you say there's a sense of a resili resilience in the bad economy? I'm just wondering what, what kind of systematic issues, both economically and both the massacre from uh, Hamas, how has that played any kind of uh, uh, played a part? Right. So, you know, this year, generally, even before the war, um, there has been a macroeconomic uh, challenge, crisis, whatever you want to call it. Um, and we're fortunate enough that uh, we haven't been hit significantly by that because by the end of the day, what we're selling is essential cybersecurity uh, protection for almost any company of any size, of any industry. Because eventually you want email security, you want protection in the browser of your SaaS app. This, this challenge is real, providing real value. We're not a company that's building something which is luxury. Um, it's really something that you feel if you don't have that. So we're lucky to grow even in this tough year. Of course, with the war and the massacre and uh, uh, the October events, and there's lots of folks in Perception Point that went on uh, military reserve, uh, lots of folks that have volunteered and uh, built uh, projects um, to help uh, the, the effort. Um, and this has been, a, of course, a hit holding back some of our work, our planned work, but you know, uh, there's priorities and this is something that comes first. Everybody is uh, part of this duty. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people are feeling like it's it's in, it's inspiring how people have really stepped up in whatever they they can to help. Um, those that are in reserves, right? So we're talking about a cybersecurity company here, a perception point. They're basically people that did things similar to what you did. Is there a reason why you weren't called when you released? So or? as you can see, the gray hair. So I'm, um, I'm a bit uh, older for uh, being I also active, have some gray hair. <laughs> <laughs> in active uh, military uh, reserve. But uh, I did do uh, participate and organize a group of uh, developers uh, for a while to build a side project to help uh, the forces. Um, again, related to my work. Do you miss it? Uh, yes, definitely. It's like, do, you, do you wish? Can you can you like say like, hey guys, like. I'm available. Come. Yeah, the problem is that the generations have been replaced, and it's like um, the contact list is, is completely different now, like in those uh, units. But we still have uh, some customer in those forces that have enjoyed what we've built over this uh, period. So has that slowed down, like your development, the fact that you have many team members that are now in the reserves? Yeah, definitely, definitely. For we had a, a bump in uh, what we plan to do, but um, you know, we all understand you know that this is. Right. priority as a country. Do you think them coming out just like when you were in the army and so were they, were they going to come out with new unique skills and approaches that can then be able to help perception point in in ways that they couldn't? It's like a crazy boot camp in a way um, or maybe or they get really excited maybe hey let's go start our own thing. <laughs> no I don't think they will start their own thing or, or will they learn like brand new things in a month period right? It's not like that I think but it's definitely you know uh, for me at least, you know, it's strengthening my uh, belief in the need to build great startups right. in Israel and right. to help the economy. Because at the end of the day, it's not just about helping the military, helping uh, us win the war, but basically, if we're building a successful company and the taxes we pay uh, to Israel, right, uh, eventually come back to the population, come back to the army. Right. So I think, if anything, you know, once people come back, they'll be driven to make this company uh -huh. even more successful. So uh, I hope this is uh, the outcome. Awesome. Um, how are you? So you're saying, despite the economic challenges and the war, you're still growing. Yes. 
can can you share any of your revenues or? Um, I don't think so. No, no, I can't publicly uh, share it. But I can again say that we have thousands of customers um, mm -hmm. across the world in any vertical, in any size, uh, from the smallest ones to the biggest ones, um, and we're in growth phase. That's uh, that's uh -huh. where we are. Awesome, terrific. Um, and what other advice, let's say, if you were to give to other cyber companies that are trying to grow during this stage since you've kind of been through it? Yeah, I think for the founders that are starting something new right now, again, I would stick to um, solving a real pain in the world um, that is validated to be a real strong pain point. Because I see many founders and many companies that uh, go after the latest trends or like the, the shiny new thing. And in many cases, they don't do enough validation. Um, I, I learned it in my own career that this is the most important thing, like validate the business need, make sure you're solving a real problem, talk to customers. Um, techies like myself, you know, we like to build technology, we like to develop, right. write a code, but you can build a, an amazing product, but if there's no real need, there's no strong need, it's a waste of time. Uh, so my advice, validate, especially these days, find the real true pain points uh -huh. um, and then go after that. Uh, it's yeah. a pain point, perception point. <laughs> a lot of yeah, no pun uh, intended. The, the one thing I wanted to get into was uh, AI. Yep. And, uh, and I'll just say because the word's thrown a lot, around a lot, which it is, and too often, and people don't know what it means usually. Uh, but that's a big component of perception point. Definitely. And I was surprised you didn't discuss that yes. at all. Yes. Uh, I didn't intend to pull it out of you. Uh, I thought uh, it, <laughs> you say it. But maybe you can talk a little bit about kind of how AI plays a part in perception point and cybersecurity in particular, because Definitely. I'm seeing that All these over. are overlapping more and more. All over, Definitely. I'm not using this, like I'm not, I don't like to throw out these buzzwords just for the I know, I don't either. So, it's so if overused. you want to use a different word, okay, <laughs> but go ahead. It's so overused and, you know, we've been at it. That's why I was hoping you bring it Yeah, up. yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, you know, Perception Point has been doing uh, part of the detection that I talked about. Of course, one of the key central engines to what we do and how we do our detection is a lot of heavy lifting machine learning models that do a variety of stuff to detect the latest, most evasive threats out there. I'll just give you a few examples just to, to explain what we do, uh, some of the latest ones. But we've been at it for years now with a team of data scientists and engineers focused just on that. Um, one example is image recognition models and vision models. Like you would think, how is this related to email security or other stuff that we do? But when you bump into, uh, let's say, a website or you get an email, you could inspect it at the textual level or look behind the scenes how the, how the email is built or how the website is built. But it's more interesting to look at it as a user would in terms of the perceptual vision kind of uh, view of a website or an email. And this has been a great approach for us to finding the latest phishing pages, the latest uh, evasive uh. emails, because it doesn't matter how the attacker constructs the email or constructs the uh, website internally, how they implement it behind the scenes. If it looks like a phishing page, if it looks like a phishing email, we will see it with machine learning, image recognition models, and understand that it's a malicious kind of incident. Another cool uh, use of machine learning, which is quite recent, we all heard about generative AI, ChatGPT, large language models, I'm sure uh, you're familiar with that. We use this to find new types of campaigns that are identical or similar in the meaning um, and not at the textual level. I'll explain. What do you mean? Yeah, yeah. I'll explain. So basically, traditional uh, ways to protect against uh, email campaigns is to look again at the text level, to see specific words, keywords, um, what are people writing specifically, like with patterns, uh, to identify that, hey, I've seen this before, it looks malicious because I've known this specific text pattern. 
where now with this technology we can move up to the next level and look at things at the meaning level, at the semantic level. Even if you as an attacker write a completely new uh, scam email uh, we, not, without using any existing words that used in another campaign, just write it completely from scratch. We can understand that your meaning, your intent, your semantic level right. is identical to another scam that we've seen before. Mm. Like I'll give you a concrete example. There's a popular scam around gift cards. Um, I wanna, uh, you know, I'm pretending to be the CEO. I'm convincing you, hey, you've, the team has done such a great job. Uh, Mr. Finance, please buy gift cards for the employees. Keep it a secret because we need to buy it Im uh, immediately before New Year. Um, and this is a very typical scam, which of course ends up with the transactions to the attacker's uh, bank account. Now I can rewrite this entire thing with completely different English, completely different phrasing. Right. But we'll understand it's the same thing, even if we've never seen something. Well, like what before. if you like use like Grok or ChatGPT and or Bard, and you're like. Hey, take this email and, um, and make it sound like a regular exactly. marketing email, right? Ex exactly. But, but then isn't there, then you can do it again and again. You can. And again, and keep doing it and want to be to a point where you wouldn't be able to recognize it. And right. we're talking seconds. Even yeah, to be able to that's the, the beauty of it. This technology has made it possible for attackers to create tons of variations very quickly. But because we're using the same underlying technology, the large language models, ah, to it. detect the same essence, we don't care. You can create a thousand, ten thousand of those or different types of attacks that we've seen schematically, semantically. We know that it's the same essence. Right. We can stop them as a family. Um, again, moving from the textual uh, level to the meaning semantic level. Since you need, since you're using like the same underlining LLM. Does that mean you need to be using every LLM because they can be using any one? Do you need to run it through all of them? Um, you don't need or to, because yeah. they, they do have different data that feed into yeah. each of them. But we find it doesn't it doesn't matter for us because the large law yeah. laws of large numbers is going to be almost yeah. The as same. long as we take a good enough model behind the scenes and we train it, right. um, we're good to go. So how are you guys expanding from here? I mean, you're protecting everything. Now, what, can we, what should we expect to hear from Perception Point in the next year or two? Definitely. So there's a lot of different directions we're uh, progressing with. Um, first, this connection between different channels, as I mentioned, the fact that you get something from email or from browser or from other applications, and to do this kind of interconnectivity between those applications to understand the bigger picture of what happened in the story across different applications. Like if you go from one app to the other to the third one, we can tell the story of what happened. We can stop it more effectively. And we're doubling down on this uh, multi-channel protection. That's uh -huh. one. Uh, of course, machine learning is going to be still key to our technology, both in the detection, as I mentioned, with the examples I mentioned before, but also helping the security analysts on the customer side um, better understand the story. I'll explain what I mean. When we stop something, when we stop a, a malicious email, we will tell you all of the forensic data of what, why we think it's malicious. But sometimes for a junior analyst or someone who's not well into the details, it's overwhelming. It's too much information. You might not understand what exactly happened here. And again, with generative AI and machine learning, we can really tell a story, sometimes visually, of what happened here in this attack um, without you having special skills to really dive into the details. So like giving you the big picture story, again, with using generative AI as in this example. Um, so this is like two uh, big examples. There's many others around 
how do we scale the service, make it more um, cost-effective to our customers, reducing the, the, the price, they have to pay for this. How do we make the service faster, even more than the 15 minutes on average that we're uh, providing today uh, for response, and more of that like. Awesome. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm excited to see like where Perception Point continues to go, and the new apps you continue to protect is very exciting. Cool. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, Tom. Thank you, pleasure.